This morning we're going to be uh, thinking about the verse that we've been memorizing, Romans 1.16. Probably by this time you either have forgotten it or you're still memorizing it. But Paul writes this, he says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Right? I'm not ashamed of the good news. I'm not ashamed of the story of Jesus Christ and what He came to do. Right? He goes on, for it's the power of God that there's power in the good news in the message of Jesus Christ for deliverance from sin, for salvation to everyone who believes. I mean, what a glorious truth that there is hope in this world for the way things are, that God is at work in the midst of it. But then he goes on and he uses this very unique phrase, to the Jews first and then to the Greek. To the Jews first and then to the Greek. And if you've been with us the last several weeks, we've been in Romans 11 dealing with this issues of uh, Jews and Gentiles, how they have interacted and what God is doing there. Well, there's a story of two guys. One of them is J. Hudson Taylor, and he was a missionary to China, right? And then there was John Wilkinson, and he was a missionary to the Jews, And so every January, this is great, J. Hudson Taylor would write a check to the mission organization of John Wilkinson. And he'd write in the memo line to the Jews first, because he was a missionary to the Jews. Well, after he received that check, John Wilkinson would write a check to J. Hudson Taylor in the memo line put and to the Gentiles. And that captures... The interdependence, or let me say it a little differently, the heartbeat of what God is doing and saying and talking about in Romans chapter 11. But what we're going to see today is it presses into every one of us to answer a very basic question. What do you believe about the end times? What do you believe is going to happen before the end? We're going to look at that very question. If you have your Bible this morning, would you open with me uh, to Romans chapter 11? Romans chapter 11. If you have a device, that's very helpful as well. Romans chapter 11. We're going to look all the way from verse 25 to the end of the chapter. These are some of the most exciting verses in all of the book of Revelation. Of course, that's my opinion. They're all exciting, aren't they? As you look at this book. If you're able to stand, could I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word? Romans 11, verse 25. I do not want you, Fox Valley Church, to be ignorant of this mystery brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel be saved. As it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gifts and His call are irrevocable. Just as you were at one time disobedient to God, have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that He may have mercy on them all. Oh, 
the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for these powerful words. Thank you for the truth, God, that just explodes in our minds, creates our imagination to to move in new directions of what you're going to do at the end. And so, God, would you speak into our lives? Would you give us hope? Would you give us confidence in the promises of your word? And God, may we not only sing these songs that we stand on your promises, but God, that we would live it and not make a mockery of our faith and really, God, ultimately disappoint you. We want to live to your glory, to your honor. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may grab a seat. Well, this morning as we look at it, God reveals this mystery for his people, right? God reveals the mystery for his people. That's what we see right at the beginning, verse 25. God didn't want the church in Rome to be ignorant, and he doesn't want Fox Valley Church to be ignorant. That's why I inserted it there, is that God has something he wants to say to all of us this morning. But let's look a little bit more here. This word here that I want to focus on is he says, do not be ignorant of this mystery. Now, sometimes when we see a word like mystery, we're like, what is he saying? What is he trying to tell us? Is there something that I don't know that I should know? And it's wrapped up in this word mystery. So let's take a moment and look at what mystery is all about. Helps to clear the pad. Something that has been hidden in the past is now revealed in the gospel. That's what the mystery is. Throughout the New Testament, when this mystery is being talked about, it's focused on, it's a technical term, focused on the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, it was hidden in the past. In other words, it wasn't so clear how God was going to rescue people from their sin. It was not clear how God was going to conquer death. It wasn't exactly clear how God would remove guilt and shame for all time. It was not exactly clear exactly how God was going to change our bodies and we would end up in paradise or in heaven or on the new heavens, new earth. However, these different expressions play together. This was a mystery that was revealed in Jesus Christ. That's what's so exciting about the person of Jesus Christ is he now explodes on the scene revealing with clarity God's plan for human beings. And so I put on the bottom of the slide here Colossians chapter 3 or chapter 2 verses uh, 2 and 3 says a true knowledge of God's mystery that is Christ himself in whom in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So as we study Jesus Christ, as we study his word, we begin to see more and more the beauty of our God 
and the majesty of his plan. And what I sometimes feel is a sadness for the world that doesn't know Jesus Christ because they are missing out on one of the grandest big stories ever being written. And we, we get to be a part of that big story. Well, let's look a little tighter. It says that Israel, right, has experienced a hardening. And that's what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, is that there's been a hardening with Israel that we've been trying to focus on uh, the last couple of weeks. It says, until the full number of Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. So let's just take that a little bit and take this idea of the... uh, full number, right? So we see the full number of Gentiles. What exactly is he talking about? There was this hardening. There was this work of God because of the disobedience of Israel. They were a stiff-necked people. That's not my description of them. That's God's description of his own people that he chose, that he loved. He said they were stiff-necked. They were hard-hearted. That's what he's talking about. And they would not turn to Jesus Christ. They would not recognize him as the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. So God says, I'm going to bring this hardening on them. Now that's not something that God's doing outside of them and just forcing on them. What's happening is, yeah, God's doing this, but it's because it's already in their heart. God is just confirming what is already in their hearts, that they're hard. And so a few weeks ago, I used the phrase, People do what they want to do. Well, God is saying, okay, you want it your way? Have it your way, right? You're going to have this, and there's this hardening that has come upon the Jewish people. And so what God says then, while that's happening, the full number of Gentiles. Now, this gets into some hard skiing of water, and what I want to say is that God's plan is sovereign, We have words like election that we have to deal with, that God has chosen people and God has selected a number of Gentiles. One thing that becomes clear is that a full number means that there's some select number that God has in store, that God has in his plan, that Gentiles are flooding in. And that's why I shared with you that there's something like 2.6 billion Christians in the world. That number is growing and God continues to draw more Gentiles into the kingdom. I mean, it should excite you. It may not be happening in our country, but in other countries of the world, people are streaming into the kingdom in hordes. And that should get our blood pumping. It should get us confident in the promises because God says that there will be this full number of Gentiles that will come in. He then says in this way, in this way right there. Now what he's talking about is the manner in which God is doing. That is, that there's a hardening, and while there's this hardening, the Gentiles comes in. That's what he means by in this way. Then he says, I love this phrase, he says, all Israel, all Israel will be saved. Now, let's be really clear. Last week we saw this idea of an olive tree right? And the branch broken off, and it was a picture of the hardening. That's the branch being broken off. But 
the Gentiles were grafted in. That was a beautiful picture. And then it says that God will bring back the natural branches, that is, Israel. Now, does he mean every single Jew in the world or every single Jew that has ever ever lived? Probably not talking about that. That wouldn't fit with the rest of Scripture. What he is saying is that as God has a full number of Gentiles, he has a full number of Israelites or Jews, and he's going to bring all them into the kingdom, and it is going to be a flooding of Jewish people recognizing there is the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So so that is what he's talking about with all Israel will be saved. So God has in his plan this picture, not only of Gentiles flooding in, but all of a sudden, you and I, maybe it'll be you and I, might be the next generation, we don't know. We all pray that Jesus will return soon, right? But there'll be this turning where all of a sudden there won't be 300,000, remember I said this, Messianic Jews in the world, but there will be millions of Messianic Jews flooding into the kingdom. And so when that happens, Paul is writing this, all Israel will be saved. They will be delivered. So now let's be really clear. There is only one plan for salvation. There has only always been only one plan of salvation. Even in the Old Testament, all of the Old Testament is pointing to who? One person, Jesus Christ. There's only one person who can deliver us. So there's one plan, not two. There's not the Mosaic covenant and the new covenant. There is one plan and there is one person, Jesus Christ, that can do all of this saving. And that is what becomes so, so powerful in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But let's go back to our mystery. Let's start pulling some threads together. So in the end times, that's what we're talking about. When the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, then what's going to happen is there's going to be a flooding of Jews. And it's in light of the gospel, the mystery is always tied to the good news of Jesus Christ. And it says, Israel has experienced a hard hardening in part right? So there's this work of God going on. Secondly, there's the fullness of Gentiles coming in. Then at the end of history, and in this way, in this manner with what's described up here, all Israel will be saved. Remember, it was Jesus Christ when he was preaching in Matthew 24. He's talking about the end times, and he says this. He says in Matthew 24, verse 14, and in this gospel of the kingdom shall shall be preached in the whole world for a witness to all nations. All nations include who? The Jews. And so when he says that, and then he says these words, and then the end will come. Then the end will come. So there will be this uh, outpouring of God's Spirit on these things. But let me bring up just a couple uh, concerns, issues perhaps that people have. A lot of Jewish people have uh, viewed Christians, or can I say it generally, Christianity, in a negative light. There has been a negativity of Jews against Christians. Now that's clearly rooted in history. There have been the Crusades. Now I know the Crusades get very complicated, but a lot of Jews were slaughtered. You got the pogroms, and there was a lot of massacring going on, and then of course, 
in the 20th century, the Holocaust. And so what we see is this, this hardening that has taken place, but then a resentment that has turned against the uh, people. And so there is this now prayer that we have is that we would be the people God's called us to be. Now, I don't get to preach to everybody in the world. I get to be a part of one church, Fox Valley Church. And what I want to encourage all of us to do is always, always, always respect all people with the dignity they deserve. We need to love and care for and respect every single individual. They do not need to agree with our beliefs in order to love them and care for them and respect them. And so when we think about this, let's be really clear, the church has not replaced Israel. There's a whole bucket of theology out there called replacement theology, where some people think that the church has replaced Israel. So God was working with Israel, 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 all the way through the Old Testament. You get into the Old Testament, and now he replaces Israel with the church. I don't think the scriptures teach that. I don't think that's a clear and consistent theology of the entire Bible. I think what's a better picture is that God is not finished with his people Israel just yet. So there is no replacement theology that fits all of scripture. There is not a redefined Israel. Okay, there's Israel of the Old Testament. Let's redefine it in some kind of spiritual way. I don't think so. I think there's still this ethnic, national Israel that God is concerned about. And that's what we're talking about here in Romans 11. An ethnic national Israel where God will pour out at the end times His his work. Now I know that raises probably lots of thoughts and questions and of course I'm always available after the message to talk further and uh, in the past we've done some texting to try to clarify this. But let's go a little further into verses 28 and 29 because Paul goes on and says, as far as the good news, right, the gospel is concerned, they are enemies, they, Israel, are enemies for your sake, for the Gentiles' sake. Why? Because while this hardening is coming on, the Spirit of God is drawing millions and millions of people into the kingdom. That's what he means by your sake, for your sake, is he's bringing all this together. And then he says, but as far as election goes, this is God's sovereign choosing of people. There's almost no escaping this, is that God is doing his electing work and he's saying they are loved on account of the patriarchs. They, Israel, are loved on account of the patriarchs. Now what is he saying there? Just what we've been talking about last week is God made these amazing promises to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, all through the book of Genesis. And God says, I'm going to fulfill all of them. They are still my chosen people. I have set my affections on them. And God is not fickle like human beings. He doesn't love one person one day and another another day and just forget about the former. He loves them, set his affections on on them and he's made some promises to them and I said that the reason that you and I need to be concerned about the promises of the Old Testament is because if he does not fulfill his promises to Israel how do you think you could have confidence that he's going to fulfill the promises he's made to you so our hope our confidence our trust is in all the promises of God and so in 2nd Peter it says this 
No, 2 Corinthians, it says this, as many as may be the promises of God in Christ, in him, they are what? Yes! Yes, it says, to the glory of God. So as we look at this, remember we've said some hard things. We said that right now Israel is an enemy. Now what does that mean? It just means that because they have not turned to the Messiah, and this is true of anybody, not just Jews, Anybody that rejects Jesus is an enemy of God. Now that does not mean he does not love them. He loves them. But he's saying, you're moving in a pattern and a path against my plan of a promised Messiah. Anybody doing that is saying no to God. And they are setting up this concept of enemies. So I want to make sure that we understand that. We've already talked about for your sake, for the Gentiles, so that they could be saved. Let me hit this last part. For God's gifts and call are irrevocable. Like if there's ever a verse you want to memorize, this is it, right? The benefits, the the favor of God, right? That's what he's talking about. The privileges of God. Do you know you have a privilege? You are a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You have been adopted into his family. Everything God has, you have because of Jesus Christ. It's all yours. Those are the privileges and they are irrevocable. Then he goes on and says his call is irrevocable. So when we talked about this a couple weeks ago, or last week in texting, we talked about this idea of individual election. Could you lose your salvation? What he's talking about here is when God moves, his call is irrevocable. Nobody can rip these out of the, out of the hands of God. The promises of God, let's say it this way, never, never fail. So let me hit my second point real quickly as we look at the very end of the book. Let's praise God for His amazing plan. A lot of people don't praise God enough for His plan, but oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom of God, right? How unsearchable His judgments. Who could have ever figured this out? But God just lays it out for all of us in this last phrase, for from Him, Jesus Christ, and through Him and for Him are all things to Him. Be the glory forever, and can we say ever, amen, right? So we should rejoice because when we think about this, we go back to Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 2, Romans chapter 3. There's this huge problem of sin in the world, and who could deal with it? Who could deal with all the murdering that's going on? Who could deal with all the hating that's going on? Who could deal with all the evil in all of its form? All the lust, all the anger, all the lying, all the deceit, all the betraying, all the mass murders. I mean, the list just goes all on long. And God says, I'll step in. And he doesn't turn away from your sin. He doesn't turn away from my sin. He rolls up his sleeve and he says, let's do business with your sin. And if you say yes to Jesus, he says, let's get after it. And we get delivered from our sin. That's why we rejoice. That's why we're praising him. That's why we praise God. So God just steps in and does all these amazing things. Amen? Amen. Amen.